This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Uncensored Parenting. Talking about the shit, no one else will. You've got questions, we've got, well, we've got perspectives. Hello, everyone. Today we are speaking with Rachel Chernick. Rachel is the Vice President of Family Services and Evaluation Research at Partnership to End Addiction. Rachel has had many years of clinical and research experience in the addiction arena with a primary focus on problematic opioid use. She also has research experience with projects at the New York City Department of Health and Mental Hygiene and the Bureau of Drug and Alcohol Prevention. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. All right. So tell us a little bit about Partnership to End Addiction. What is it? So the Partnership to End Addiction is a national nonprofit um, whose main focus is supporting the supporters. So we focus all of our efforts on helping family members and other loved ones get information that they need to help prevent or address addiction in someone that they care about someone that they love. Wonderful. What is a great age to start talking to your kids about substances? So I don't think it's ever too early to talk to your kids about substance use. When kids are really little, the conversations are around big feelings that kids have and how to cope with them. It's not necessarily explicit information about marijuana use. It's more like, how do you deal with things that happen to you in your life that make you feel angry, that make you feel scared, that make you feel anxious? And then as kids get older, those conversations evolve into more specific conversations about, so some people, when they feel angry or when they feel worried, um, will use certain kinds of substances to help them feel better, less less angry or less anxious. And that's when sort of very explicit information about some people use marijuana or some people will use uh, drink alcohol or some people will use substances like cocaine or opioids. Um, but it's all in the same, the theme is always the same, which is that people use substances in order to address some kind of a, a problem or an issue they're having um, coping in their lives. 
So then we could probably say then that if a teen or a child were to begin using substance abuse, it's probably due to the fact that they are encountering some type of challenge or that they can't manage on their own. In our experience, yes. We always talk about how behaviors make sense. So there's the substance use is really the what you see on the surface. It's kind of like the tip of the iceberg. You see that happening, but underneath that, there is a context of substance use. And sometimes that's a child who is, a, you know, self-medicating some kind of a, a mental health issue, or it's a child who desperately wants to fit in and uses substances because of their peers and peers are using, um, or it's a child who has a particular vulnerability to substances because of a genetic predisposition. And so that child um, will be more likely to develop a problem with substance use. So when we talk to parents, we always encourage them to focus more on the sort of why underneath the substance use as opposed to the the substance use itself. Like, yeah. let's try to understand. Let's try to contextualize this, essentially. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's say, like, vaping tobacco is that still considered something that helps ease some of that anxiety or whatnot? Yes. So that includes, that's included in there. Absolutely. Okay. Nicotine is, you know, a psychoactive substance in the way that alcohol is a psychoactive substance and it can, you know, uh, make you feel calm. And certainly kids who vape are getting that experience when they're vaping nicotine. Hmm. Yeah. We just had this experience with my son. He was exposed to vaping and started to do it. And when we had a conversation with him about it, there was it, he he said, I don't know why I just did it. So when when that happens, like, what do you suggest for that kind of scenario? Like, what could we say to him so that he's he's understanding that there there's something more to this than just, I don't know why I did it. I just did it. Yeah. I think the foundation of this conversation is we want to keep talking about this. Sometimes people don't always understand what they're doing. We hope to try to keep talking about this so that we can hope, you know, understand what happened that day or what happens when you do try to vape there, you're, you're absolutely right. There isn't always a clear connection in the child's mind about why they did something. But there's usually a backstory. Yep. We just have to uncover it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is asking more questions. I mean, I think that's coming from curiosity. Yeah. Exactly. And the, com the, the questions and the conversations are such an important part of this in some ways, almost more than the answers themselves, right? The answer might be insufficient or unsatisfying, mm -hmm. like this answer you got from your yeah. son. But the questions about, let's really try to understand what happened on that day. Where were you? Who were you with? What was happening? You know, what, what, what is, how do you feel when you're with that particular group of friends? What's mm -hmm. happening in the larger context of your relationship to school, to, friends to your family right there's just it's just like keeping that open 
keeping that conversation open and, yeah. and keeping staying curious. That curiosity seems really important in this of connecting the dots together a little bit together as a team to figure things out. Exactly. So what are some of the facts about addictions and teens that parents should be aware of? I think today the single most important fact about substance use for teens is that the entire illicit drug supply is contaminated with fentanyl. Hmm. And it's just a super, super dangerous time to be using any kind of illicit substance. Substances like heroin and cocaine have always traditionally been uh, cut or altered with, with other substances. But what we're seeing today that I think is particularly concerning to teens that may be sort of substance naive, not really ex exposed to those substances, are uh, fake pills, essentially, illicitly manufactured pills. And those pills often contain fentanyl. And when they do contain fentanyl, the amounts of fentanyl in them are frequently enough in dose to cause death, essentially overdosing death. I just heard a statistic which found that over 50% of the pills that contain fentanyl have a lethal dose in them. Wow. So if you happen to get a pill with fentanyl in it, there's a 50% chance that you're going to die from taking that pill. Oh, so that's wow. really extremely, extremely concerning. And why it's so important to pre do prevention. Exactly. And you think about kids who go to a party or hang out with a friend and, you know, it's like a tiny little pill. Sometimes they're like the size of a baby aspirin. And you think, how could this tiny little pill be so dangerous? So that to me is really the the biggest message to get out there is 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 around fake pills for non-habitual substance users. Now, is fentanyl also showing up in like vaping and those types of substances as well? Or is it just more in like the pill or powder form? Yeah, I mean, I think that, like I said, the whole illicit substance use market is full of fentanyl. There's places where we see it more and places where we see it less. So like pills, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, those are all places where we're more likely to see it. Okay. Um, I wouldn't advise anybody personally to use any substance unless it was prescribed by a doctor or, you know, you, you knew where the source was, personally knew where the source was. Wow. That, I mean, I definitely had a reaction in my body to that, just having my own kids. Like, that's scary. That's really scary to know that, um, you know, even kids who feel pressured and do it because they feel pressured, that's that's a big risk that they're taking. So it's critical that, that parents hear this and start talking to their kids about it. What signs do you start seeing that kids might be using substances? Yeah, I think as a parent, noticing sort of anything that seems out of the ordinary, any kind of behavior that seems unusual, any kind of personality changes. I know it's hard. Yeah, you know, I'm the parent of a 14-year-old. And it's hard because teenagers act different sometimes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah we, <we're>, yes, <laughs> we know that. <laughs> so it's like, is this just my teen being a teen or is this my teen using substances? 
So just, I think, watching and listening very carefully. And again, conversations, I think, are really important here. You know, like I've noticed you spending a lot of time in your room alone. I noticed you've been so quiet recently. I've noticed that you aren't hanging out with that particular group of friends and you're hanging out with a different group of friends. I think just having your like super parent ears and eyes on, you know, like we have these kind of, we're so tuned into our kids. And so often there's almost like the second sense that goes up. It's like, wait, something just is, doesn't seem right. And maybe it's your teenager being a teenager, but maybe it's something else. So do you feel like it's, I mean, based on just seeing this, I mean, I know that that you may not have an answer to this, but like, is it common for kids? Is there like a certain age in where kids might be more exposed and want to do that? Like, and is there a relationship to that mental health piece? Because, you know, I know middle school can be a very hard time socially. Um, Do you guys see any of that? I think that kids are exposed to a lot of substances these days. Middle school, definitely six, seven, eight, um, and then into high school. I think there's a lot of uh, marijuana use around. There always has been alcohol use and and you know nicotine use, um, but I think marijuana use is really um, you know becoming more and more normative, more and more available. I would just almost assume that your kid is going to be confronted with substance use, I think then the question is, what did they do when they encounter it? Yeah, because I I know that we've heard stories about, even at our son's school, around parents working at dispensaries and giving kids stuff and having access to that. And it's like, how do we equip our kids to say no to that when it does feel more of a normative space that we're living in now? I think education open honest and accurate education is really where I try to lead from in terms of my own daughter and in terms of the advice that we give people. The more accurate the information is, um, the more equipped they are to understand the risks that may be involved. In the end, they're going to make decisions that they're going to make. Hopefully they make them with the best possible information that they that they can about what's involved. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So what should parents do if they catch their child using substances? So again, I think the first place to start is really with a conversation and talking to your kids about substance use. That's a, a particular event, something that's happened. You know, I would try to set uh, an environment where nobody's tired, nobody's hungry, everybody's, hmm. you know, off their phone, you know, so there's like a an ability to focus. So you want to kind of create an environment where you can have a productive conversation. And I think that just being very honest, we found weed in your room, we, you know, found a vape pen, and we want to talk to you about it. And, and we want to try to understand what's happening using lots of open-ended questions, you know, to sort of open up the conversation, you know, as opposed to, did you smoke weed? You know, can you? T- <laughs> I laugh because I did the opposite. I'm telling, I did what you are saying not to do. <laughs> it's, it's all, 
practice. It's all practice. You know, um, as we know, we didn't get a manual for this. Right. Um, but, you know, questions that open up conversations instead of shutting them down. So can you tell me about kids that are smoking weed at school? You know, can you tell me a little bit about what smoking weed, how does it make you feel? Mm. And as much as possible, this is really hard to not be judgmental, to not be angry, to sort of hold on to that. You may be angry and upset and worried, but as much as possible to to just send the message of concern and love. You know, I'm asking because I care about you so much. I'm asking because I love you and I really want to support you with what's going on. Yeah, I think about my experience and the panic that comes as a parent of like, what does this mean? What's going to be in the future? Like what, why? And this is the road we're going down. And then, you know, you spiral into this. Oh, my gosh, you're going to be you're going to now use this and you're going to use this. And I definitely think that I, I did not come with curiosity, which probably was why I received the, I don't know, response. But but now that I'm hearing this, it, it makes me think about like, how do I do this proactively right now while he's not and getting more curious about that and creating space for more of an open conversation? Yeah, I think exactly. There's, there's, you, ha- you haven't blown it. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a do-over, yeah. you know, you're, <laughs> You can, you know, try it again. And it's not that you're not going to have those feelings. It's just that those feelings, you know, you can share them with your partner or your friend or, you know, your sister, (laughs) you know, with your kid, you want to, you want to try to keep the judgment out because your kid knows you disapprove. And so they're going to avoid disappointing you. They're going to avoid those feelings that, you know, they've let you down. What is the percentage of kids or teens and drug use? Do they do they have studies on that of of how many kids are actively using or there are studies that there's a a, a national study called Monitoring the Future, which tracks has tracked kids over time for many years. Kids um at in tenth grade, kids in twelfth grade overall rates of substance use are going down among teenagers which is a little counterintuitive yeah so fewer kids overall are are using substance as a whole certain substance use is going up like marijuana it's just the danger associated with the use which is increasing so dramatically Mm -hmm. so using substances has become much more harmful if that makes sense yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that definitely makes sense the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm always curious about like, you know, I know that when COVID hit, mental health was like, a lot of people were suffering from it. It wasn't just teens or kids. I mean, adults were suffering from a lot of mental health stuff because of the stress of losing jobs and trying to navigate school and work. And um, it became a stress. Was there a big relationship to, or I should say, is there a big relationship to the mental health piece? And then 
using substances to treat it. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover between mental health and substance use. And we get so many parents coming to us talking about their kids who have depression or anxiety or attention issues. And it's really important to pay attention to both mental health issues and substance issues at the same time if your kid is sort of presenting with both of those. Because just addressing the substance use, like if your kid is using substances because there's a real mental health issue and you take the substance away, you know, there's nothing left, right? So it's like, then they're left without something that was actually helping them cope. Right. So, you know, making sure you get the kids some good psychiatric support, a therapist, a group, you know, so that so that the, this underlying mental health issue um, does not go untreated. Essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that then. Like what kind of treatment programs are there for teens if parents are struggling with this? So there's all kinds of treatment, both in sort of the mental health world and the addiction world. There's outpatient treatment where kids can go and do individual meetings with therapists, group meetings with other kids who may be struggling. There's medication-assisted treatment for kids who might benefit from a medication to help uh, support reduction or abstinence. For example, kids who have issues with opioids, um, there's lots of great medication that you could take that that helps address cravings, that um, can help prevent relapse. And there's inpatient rehabilitation programs, residential treatment facilities for kids who really need to be away from their families and communities and in um, sort of a very kind of restricted setting uh, for a period of time. So there's really a big range of of support. I would say for a parent whose child is struggling, the best thing to do is to get a really good assessment from a professional who understands addiction. And that person can help guide Sort of, is this something where outpatient treatment and living at home is is sufficient? Or is this something where we really want to look at an inpatient stay? Is this something that also requires psychiatric treatment? Or is psychiatric treatment not really necessary in this situation? And I know that you had said something about, like, you know, kids who have attention issues. Does that fall? I mean, I even see, like, you know, as a retired teacher myself, you know, I know that there are so many kids now who experience a lot of attention issues. And I've seen schools and teachers really get on kids about this. And it really impacts, I think, their perception of themselves. And we've even experienced this with experience with this with my son of like, there's a lot of encounters at school where he is feeling like he is he is no longer smart because there's been frustration from teachers because of the tension piece. And I just think about like, how do we support our kids when it comes to that on factors that maybe are a little more out of our control, so to speak, in that arena? Because I just think about like, it's got to be a little bit scary for some parents who have kids who have ADHD, especially how common it is now. And how schools, not all schools, but how some schools and teachers might not have the skills to even address it and the impact that it has on their kid. Yeah. I mean, I think helping 
teachers and schools understand what mental health issues look like in the classroom is a really mm. important place to start. And hopefully that's happening like at the systemic level. But sometimes that's just you talking to the teacher and advocating and educating about your child. Okay. You know, my child has an issue. Yeah. This is what it looks like. This is how we can support him or her in the classroom. This is what we're doing at home to support the child. Okay. That's, yeah, that's great. I want to circle back to the prevention conversation that we were a little touching on a little bit before. You had mentioned, you know, asking questions of like, how many students are using marijuana at school or what does this look like? What are other preventions that you suggest for parents to kind of start talking about with their kids? So creating a context where there's a strong attachment to the family is a generally good preventive measure. It's not necessarily a question, but it's like, let's do stuff as a family. Let's spend time together as a family. Let's laugh together. Let's watch movies. Let's play games. All the research shows that good, strong family attachment is something that is a protective factor, essentially, against addiction. When we talk about addiction a lot, we're talking about risk factors and protective factors. So the risk factors are sometimes out of your control. For example, a biological predisposition that runs in your family, that's out of your control. A personality of a child that tends to be like a risk-taking child, that's out of your control. So there's certain things we sort of, uh, we know our risk factors, but they kind of just come with the territory or mental mental health issues. We talked about that a little bit. Also, your child kind of comes with the support factors, the buffers against, a, you know, that, that can sort of counterbalance the risk factors are things like making sure if the kid has a, has a mental health issue that they're getting the treatment that they need, monitoring your child and making sure they know that you disapprove of substance use, that you don't think it's healthy for them, letting them know that that you want to know where they are, you want to know what kids they're hanging out with. All of those things are, are your job as a parent. They may push back on that, but it's your job as a parent to take care of them and you're in charge of their well-being. So there may be a little bit of like, get out of my business or I don't want you know, I want you in my in my life. But I think the response to that is I'm in charge of your well-being. And, you know, I want to know where you are and who you're with. And so those are sort of all messaging on the on the kind of protective factors side. Having kids involved in things that they like to do that are meaningful for them, sports, art, other kinds of you know, creative activities. I think all of those things fall in the protective factors, you know, column, um, giving them a sense of meaning for for a child, like a, a child who might have attention issues at school where they're not getting such positive feedback if they're involved in some other kind of activity outside of school where they're getting positive feedback because they're a great soccer player or because they're really good at Taekwondo or because... They're, they're a great artist. It's balancing out maybe some of the okay. some of the um, school pressure. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a question and and I don't know if you want to answer this, but so you know, I know there's always been controversy growing up, especially like with this idea of like, do you tell kids no, they can't have it and then psychologically they want it because they can't have it or there's been parents who for me growing up who it's like, okay, well, I'll let you do like drink at my house because then I know you're safe or let me how ha- let me teach you how to do it 
um, you know, in a safer way. Like what is there research on that? Is that a great idea? Is that not a great idea? What where's I guess the fine line there and and yeah, not not necessarily easy answers to that one. In general, what the the place I start from is that any substance use, psychoactive substance use before the age of 25 is is not uh, healthy for a child because it can interrupt brain development. So we know children's, the prefrontal cortex is the last part of the brain to develop and it's not really fully formed until kids are somewhere between 25 and 30. So any kind of substance use, as benign as it may seem, you know, is potentially disrupting your brain development. You know, so that's kind of where I start with that conversation. When I talk to my daughter, I tell her I really don't want her using substances while her brain is developing. You know, as an adult, once her brain is fully developed, she can make decisions on her own. But for now, I'm taking care of her health and well-being the way I'm, you know, supporting her by taking her to the pediatrician for checkups and um, getting her vaccinated. This is part of our health and well-being approach. Yeah, that makes sense. I it's, I mean, that's, it, it, I've heard it before that your brain doesn't finish developing till around twenty-five. But I just think about like how wild, especially like seventeen to twenty-one, <laughs> most most people get. You know, there's some that don't, but I feel like that's the the rebel age of like, I want to go out and explore and be wild and do all the things. And, you know, it's scary because their brain's not fully developed. Right. So I think, you know, there's sort of a, when the kids are with you at home and then there's sort of like, once they're kind of adults and they're out of the home, right. There's maybe different approaches, right. It's not necessarily a one size fits all approach. Once kids are out of the house and, and on their own, I think then, um, and they choose to use substances, I think then the conversation becomes, you know, I just want to make sure that you're using something you're choosing. I don't necessarily approve, but if you're using something, I want you to use it safely. I don't want you to use it in any way that could be harmful. So the conversation kind of shifts a little bit because at a certain point, you know. Yeah, Yeah, they're more independent and it's harder. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's been a big conversation. I'm still teaching right now, and there's kind of been a conversation about like schools having Narcan readily available in multiple spots in the school. I think I've heard that they're talking about being able to sell it at like Walgreens and like some drugstores, you know, more readily. Like, is that something as parents we should just have on hand just in case to also provide that extra protection? Yes. Absolutely. I would love to see Narcan in every house in the U.S. It's, you know, as part of your medicine cabinet. So you have your like fire extinguisher and your Narcan. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Because it's it may not be you or it may not be your child. It could be someone who comes into your home. Sure. It's 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 a, a first aid mechanism that can literally save somebody's life. Especially if you're talking about the increase of fentanyl in any drug. I mean, it's almost necessary. It's unfortunate, but it's almost necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we ask all of our guests this question. What's your best parenting advice about preventing substance abuse? 
So I think that, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, really just education and open and honest communication with your kids. In this country, we've done a bad job of educating around substance use in an honest way. Um, So in some ways, we don't have a lot of credibility. You know, when people were, you know, being told that, you know, marijuana was going to drive them crazy in the, you know, early part of the 1900s, that wasn't true. There was a lot of scaremongering happening. So to some extent, we don't have a lot of credibility, but we can start now and we can start talking to our kids about again the risks of use we can start supporting the uh, protective factors and the buffers that will help mitigate some of the risks and we can offer people support to connect in a way where they don't feel blamed and judged and stigmatized it's one of the biggest things we see with parents who reach out is there's so much shame and blame mm-hmm. what did i do wrong what what how did i mess up here And we really, at the partnership, try to open our hearts and our arms to people to come to us and ask us any question with any issue around any kind of um, struggles that their children are having without any kind of blame or judgment. You are doing the best you can as a parent, always. You always love your children. You are always doing the best you can with whatever information you have at the time. And blaming yourself and second guessing yourself is just is not helpful. What you can do now is get the support and the information you need to help your child wherever they are hmm. um, in their journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. If if parents need more information or they need some more support, where can they find you guys online? So they can come to drugfree.org. That's our website. On our drugfree.org main page. We have a get support now button. So if you want specific individualized support, you want to talk to a helpline specialist, if you want to talk to another parent who has lived experience, if you want to sign up for text messaging, you can get all that through get support. And our site in general has lots and lots and lots of resources, lots of information about supporting a child. So you could spend days reading information and still not still not finish the website great that's great and just a side question is there financial support like i don't know how the um partnership to an addiction but let's say a family is reluctant to go because they don't have money what would you say to them so that they're still accessing resources is there opportunities for support there our resources are entirely free at the partnership okay you can come and get as many resources as you need, as often as you need, for as long as you need. Oh, wonderful. At absolutely no cost. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the work you guys are doing. You're so welcome. It was so um, great to be here today with you. Mm-hmm. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to Uncensored Parenting. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Uncensored Parenting Podcast. We're, We're out. out. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. 
Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hath Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. 